If you're still with us this morning, uh, we are glad that uh, you are here with us. If you're watching on uh, Facebook Live or Springbrook.live, uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, if you're on Springbrook.live, um, our online hosts are available there right now uh, to pray with you live, uh, to chat with you. If you've got any questions, uh, take advantage of the opportunity to interact um, with our host team uh, on Springbrook.live. Um, either way, we hope you uh, enjoy the service this morning. We're looking forward to being back together, but right now we really appreciate the opportunity to be with you online in this way. Uh, if you haven't taken an opportunity to fill out an online uh, connection card, a communication card, um, we would encourage you to do that. If you have not had an opportunity to do that yet, uh, the first time you fill that out, we'll send you a copy of uh, the Slippery Slope card. Uh, Peacemakers uh, Ken Sandy's published these. It's a great resource uh, for you to use through this series together. It'll help you figure out how to uh, work through conflict in a healthy way without spiraling over the edge of the cliff. And so uh, you sign up uh, online with that communication card. We'll send you one of those. And I know many of you have taken advantage of uh, online giving for the first time. If you haven't had an opportunity to do that, um, we'll send you a copy of Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, uh, that I know will encourage you through this series as well. I want to let you know next week, uh, Wednesday at 6.30 p.m., we're going to have a church-wide uh, ministry update. And so you can go to our website, springbrook.org, for more information about that. Um, we are so glad that you are with us this morning. Uh, we're going to sing. Pastor Matt's going to be out in just a few moments. I uh, pray that you're blessed today, and uh, thank you for being with us. Bethany? Well, our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 65, verses 1 through 5. It says, Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O oh, you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. This is the word of the Lord. Let's sing praises to our almighty God this morning who draws us near and satisfies us with his goodness. Sing praise to the Lord. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad adoration. Praise Him. Praise to the Lord. Praise to the Lord who o'er all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelters thee under his wings, yea, so gently sustaineth. Hast thou not seen how thy desires there have been? Hello. 
introduce a new song to you guys this morning called Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days is a name for God that appears three times in scripture, all three times in the seventh chapter of Daniel. In Daniel's prophetic vision, we see God portrayed as the almighty ruler and the eternal judge who existed before time began. So we're going to sing this new song that centers on this beautiful name for God, our God who has been since eternity past and will be forever. Our God who reigns over all, whose throne will stand forever, and yet who knows your name and invites you into the joy of knowing him. Let's continue in worship together this morning. Though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one King reigning over all. So I will not fear, for this truth remains that my before him, none above him, all of 
forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling
pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Ancient of Days, we honor you this morning. We bring you praise and glory because you are worthy of it. You are the only one who is worthy of it. I pray for each one who is viewing this service, who's worshiping from their home, from their car, from wherever you have them this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give each of us a sense of your presence with us. We know you were always near. We pray that you would heighten our senses to be aware of you, aware of your nearness to us in this time. And we pray as we prepare to open your word this morning that you would just open our eyes to see where we have been blind. Open our ears to hear. Open our hearts. Soften our hearts to receive tenderly what you have for us in your word this morning. May we humbly and obediently receive it from you and go out living differently, living better, living to bring you honor and glory and in closer and more intimate relationship with you. Father, we love you. Everything we do is for you and for your glory. And so we offer you this morning in the perfect and precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so good to have you with us, um, whether you're watching this live or whether you're watching it later on. Um, we're, we're glad that you're joining us for worship this morning. Um, and this morning, we're going to continue our series on peacemakers. Um, and this morning, our, our title is Get Real About Yourself. Um, and this is going to get a little uncomfortable because if we get real about ourselves, we don't generally think, wow, I'm really good. Maybe you think that, and if you do, this sermon's for you. For our sermon today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. If you've got a Bible at home, I'd encourage you to open it up. Um, if you have the same Bible as me, it's on page 1459. Um, it's in the New Testament, right at the beginning of the New Testament. Um, but we're going to look at... Uh, a, a verse, um, and then we're going to look at a lot of verses, but we're going to look at a verse um, that, that is used in a very specific way. Um, it's a very famous verse. I think it's actually the verse I've heard most from non-Christians um, in, in my life, and, and they've said it to me. Um, and and um, for, for good or ill, I've seen it online a whole bunch of times, especially under Christian YouTube videos, things like that. It's It's a verse that has a lot of meaning. But as we talk about peacemakers, what we're going to see today is that the verse and the passage it's a part of probably means something way different than we think. But as we come to terms with it, we're going to realize that if we're going to be peacemakers in our homes, in our communities, for ourselves, in, in the world, in our relationship with God, if we're going to live as peacemakers, it means that we're going to have to pursue something greater than what we think will bring us peace. So let's open up to Matthew 7, but first I'm going to open us up in prayer. Dear Father, Father who is in heaven, we thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived, he did miracles, he predicted and taught, and he predicted over and over that he would die, and three days later he would rise again. And we thank you that with the blood of his death, we have been forgiven, and with his resurrection, we see a promise of new life, both here and for eternity. 
And we pray, Lord, that as we open up the book of Matthew and read part of the Sermon on the Mount, that what we would come away with today is a desire to be living out your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that, that we would be convicted, that we would be cut where we are not focused on you and, and where we pursue and follow after lesser things. And we pray that you would help us to have eyes to see what you have to say and ears to hear your message. We thank you so much for, for just the gift of your word and the chance we have to be in it together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, uh-oh. Can you, can you click one forward? We're having technical difficulties today, but we're going to get through it. Um, so that passage, it starts off, judge not lest ye be judged. And then it talks about a whole bunch of stuff with a speck of sawdust and then a, a, a log in an eye. And, and we're going to look at this, but first I want to tell you what this verse um, does not mean. Because when we come to Matthew 7, 1, the judge not that you be not judged, the way that I hear this used all the time, the way that I hear it in, in at just about every way I've heard it, it is people saying, you can't judge other people or you will be judged. And, and there's a lot of problems with this. Um, the, the, the first problem with this um, is that in, in the middle of this passage we just read, Jesus says, you hypocrite. That's him doing a judging action. And you might say, well, he's God, so he's allowed to. But I, I don't think Jesus models for us things that he doesn't want us to follow him in. Um, in fact, I, I think it's clear he wants something different than that by the way he lifts up and, and builds up his disciples. But, but so the, the picture that, that we're going we're gonna to look at today, we... Did it work? Sorry, everyone. I'm going to be distracted for a moment. Nope. Um, the, the picture we're going to look at today, we also run into a problem when we go to the speck in your brother's eye. Because at the end of this passage, it does not say, you hypocrite. There's a log in your eye, so don't judge other people. Instead, it says, remove the log from your eye, and then after you do that, the very next thing you're going to do is you're going to go work on the speck in your brother's eye. What that means is that when you saw that speck in your brother's eye, you, you judged and said, there's something wrong here. And what that means when you go to remove it is that not only did you judge, but you decided to take action out of it. The, the point of judge not lest you be judged in this passage does not land or lie entirely on, well, you're not supposed to judge because if you judge others, you're going to be judged. No, because at the end of the day, even the, the point of this passage is not to just sit there and deal with judgment. And, and man, can you click forward on the slide? Click forward one more time. Okay. So here's what I can't talk about until I see the slides. So um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, um, this is the first teaching of Jesus 
in the gospel of Matthew. And, and, and what's happening here is they go up a mountain. Jesus goes up and his disciples go up with him. And while they are on the mountain, Jesus begins to teach them. And you're supposed to, when you read this, you're supposed to see this parallel to Moses teaching. But Jesus is a new, better, more perfect Moses. And so when he is listing off these teachings, he is showing something deeper to us. He's showing us a perfect way of living it out. And so, so you have the introduction, which is verses 1 through 20 of chapter 5, where Jesus says the Beatitudes, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. Then he talks about salt and light, and then he goes on from there to talk about the, the gospel. He goes on from there to talk about what are called triads, and there are 14 of them. And those triads, uh, judge not lest ye be judged, is one of those triads. What the triads are, are, are these 14 teachings where Jesus says something along the lines of, you have heard it said, or you have heard this teaching, or if you have heard this before, but I tell you, but I tell you. And what he does is he unloads for them, you, you've heard it said, do not murder, but then he takes it deeper. And then he has a conclusion at the end of Matthew 7. Next slide, please. And then go three more slides. Right there. So, so what we're going to see in the 14 triads of Matthew 5 through 7 is we're going to see this picture. There's a traditional teaching. Today, that traditional teaching in Matthew 7, 1 is judge not lest ye be judged. And the traditional teaching is not wrong, but what Jesus is coming to say is he's coming to say, if you live out this traditional teaching, it on its own, it, it, it's an action-based thing. And we want this to not just be don't judge. We want this to be live in a transformed way, because the, the problem is, is it, the traditional teaching has led and leads to vicious cycles. The first example in Matthew 5, 21, um, it talks about, you have heard it said, do not murder. That's the traditional teaching. And then Jesus goes on to talk about, but I say, the, the vicious cycle is if you go out there, you don't murder your brother, but if you hate your brother, if you have anger with your brother, if you have the emotions that could lead to murder towards your brother, if you have that anger, you're on the same path. You're doing the same thing. You're not being cut to the heart by this commandment. Do not murder in word, thought, or deed. That's what Jesus is talking about. And, and the transformation in it, or transformative initiative at the end, what Jesus says is, he says, be reconciled. He says, not just don't murder, but don't harbor hatred or anger towards others. Instead, be reconciled. Take do not murder so far the other way that murder will never even enter your thoughts. And that's the point of each of these 14 triads. It's Jesus, he's not saying, it's, do, not, do not murder is wrong. Yes, we, we don't want to murder. But the point is, is that if your emotions and thoughts are, are in that arena, then, then you need to move further. You need to be reconciled. You need to live the way we're called to live in Christ. Next slide. So when we read, judge not that you be not judged, what Jesus is saying here, this is the traditional teaching. His audience would have been aware of this type of teaching. And then he's going to talk about how this is an incomplete thought process. And there's a simple reason for this. And I'm going to explain it with an illustration I have permission to use. My sister-in-law, Ashley, went home to, to go live with her parents um, last Friday, but for two months she had lived with us. Um, and, and she started living with us because Moody, um, after spring break, didn't go back to class. They did everything online, and so she came to live with us. And the first week she lived with us, first off, it was really abrupt that she was coming to live with us, and I was really kind of like, oh, we're doing this. Um, I, I, I did not have much time to process, and that was okay. We had a blast. But um, when Ashley first moved in with us, the first, like, three or four days she was at our house, we would eat dinner, and 
Church, this is going to get graphic for a moment. Um, After dinner, Jess would take Lucy up to go to bed, and Ashley would go sit on the couch, and she would leave her plate on the dinner table. And it sounds like a little thing, but then I would start doing the dishes, and I'd go in, and I'd do all the dishes, and I'd forget that her plate was out there, and so I'd finish the dishes, and then I'd turn around, and I'd go to go sit down on the couch and look at my phone, because that's what I wanted to do, and there was one more stinking plate there. And I got so annoyed about it. I was ticked about it. I was like, oh my gosh, she doesn't help at all. And so I was complaining to Jess about it, but I didn't want to talk to Ashley. Why? Because judge not, lest ye be judged. And I know I'm not perfect, but it bothered me so much. It bothered me so much. It was just on my head. And, and, and so I, I kept being annoyed. And then I kept thinking, well, Matt, maybe this is an overreaction. But then it never went away. It just stayed there. And I was like, oh my gosh. <sighs> because I didn't want to judge her. I didn't want her to feel bad about it. And so church, there's, there's a good solution to this though, because there was a point where I finally said, I can't take anymore. And I finally, Ashley, please put your plate in the kitchen. I judged her and I spoke it out loud. I said, Ashley, what you're doing right now is wrong. Get your plate in the kitchen. And do you know what she did? She put her plate in the kitchen. And from that point on, she always put her plate in the kitchen. She also said things like, oh, do you need help with the dishes? What, what was wrong in the picture wasn't anything wrong with Ashley. It was in my head. I was getting all frustrated and, and angry and dealing with all this stuff internally. That was more of just me saying, I don't like change and transition. Um, but at the end of it, when I finally just spoke it to her, at the end of it, things got better. It was that simple. And if I would have never spoken that, we would have had two months of passive-aggressive annoyance. And, and I would have just more and more been like, oh, she never helps. But, but instead, because I just spoke something simple, Things changed. Things got better. I, I think that judgment is not bad, but we're going to see that, that there's ideas inside of judgment that we need to follow. So the tradition is judge, judge not that you be not judged. And then there's this vicious cycle. For, for with judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured against you. So there's a reality that when you judge others, you are judged the same way. When I judged Ashley about that plate, let me tell you, that my wife, who we have been married almost nine years, um, she can testify over and over and over again to the fact that when I come in, my backpack, my hoodie, whatever books I have, they never land in the same spot. And the same way I get annoyed at Ashley or got annoyed at Ashley, Jess is probably always dealing with, I need to love my husband way more than I was dealing with for that one week. And I, I say that because when I'm starting to get mad at someone else about something, I need to first look at what I'm doing, because otherwise I'm measuring someone against a standard that I don't want to be measured by. And so the the transformation initiative of this passage is, is you're a hypocrite if you judge people without first removing the sin, without first removing the wrong. There's a log in your eye and you're worried about a speck. You know what's wrong with you, and so you need to remove that first before you talk to others. But, but the picture here and what is so important is that you're not going to leave the speck because the, the wrong thing to do here would be to say, you know what, I'm comfortable with this log. That would be the absolute wrong thing to do. And, and I'm using this illustration in our home because I think it's kind of a fun illustration. I will tell you on Friday, right before we dropped Ashley off at the airport, we all kind of cried and we, we prayed. And it was the last two months have been full of joy. Um, that was really just one week and we got over it really fast and we're going to miss her. And Ashley, if you're watching, thanks for watching. But, but, but the, the point of all of this is, is that, that that illustration is that before I'm going to judge someone else, I've got to make sure that, that I've removed that sin from my life 
but I'm called to remove that sin from my life so I can judge someone else to help them on that path. You, you can't do neither of those. If you do neither of those, that's the worst case scenario. There's one other thing we have to consider here. You need to judge to make disciples. Now, when I say make disciples, some of you may say, I did not see the word disciple in anything that you read, Matt. In, in verses one through five, the word disciple never came up. And that is astute. But when you, when you say that, the thing you have to remember is that the book of Matthew, the whole book of Matthew had a very clear agenda. Matthew, the author, was standing there when Jesus ascended into heaven. And what did Jesus say right before he ascended? He said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of days. Matthew was a part of that. And I wholeheartedly believe when he wrote the book of Matthew, his starting point was I'm writing this book so disciples will be made. And, and so, so big idea of the Great Commission, make disciples. And then you come to the end of the Great Commission, it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that looks green here. I don't know how it will show up on your screens, but imagine it's green if it doesn't look that way. But, but teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, well, to do that, to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, first off, you have to follow the commands of Jesus. Second off, you have to teach them to others. You have to judge people. You have to show them this. But in order to do it, first, you have to observe it yourself. That's, that's what we're called to do to make disciples. And when you read the book of Matthew, the starting point of Matthew is, how am I a disciple and how am I going to make disciples? This whole idea of judgment is tied to that. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 is connected to making disciples of all nations. That is our mission as Christians. The right outcome of following this passage of, of taking the log out of my eye before I take the speck out of my brother's eye is that at the end of this, disciples will be made. So, so I need to judge to make disciples. I have to do it. There's no way around that. I also, I have to acknowledge that leaving the speck in my brother's eye is the inverse, the exact opposite of making disciples. If you are uncomfortable judging for someone for something that they need to be judged on because you have a log in your eye, the, the wrong way to handle it is to say, well, nothing I can do about it because then I'll be a hypocrite. That, that is a sign that you don't follow and observe the commands Jesus has called us to. That's a sign you don't want to be a disciple. Being a disciple means we're living a transformed life. And as I say this, if, 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 any of the, if any of you are thinking, well, what about what we talked about last week, about how we don't have to measure up to the standard of a Proverbs 31 woman, the point of that passage is we're still moving towards pursuing wisdom, having a fear of the Lord and developing that fear on a daily basis. And doing that is going to move us towards the Great Commission. We're going to want to make disciples. We're going to judge others after first repenting and judging ourselves. We're going to do that if we want to follow after the Lord well. We can't read Matthew 7, 1 through 5 and say, this isn't for me, but I still love Jesus. That just doesn't work. Finally, when you judge, and this is the most important part, you must first make sure you have repented. If you are telling somebody something that you yourself do, you're a hypocrite. And let me tell you, hypocrite is the worst thing you can be because if you do that, you, you minimize yourself. You make someone say, I don't want to follow that. I don't want to be a disciple of that. There's a, there's a thing I see on social media. Um, it comes up all the time. People post, it says, I'm a Christian. I'm a hypocrite, but I'm learning how to live better, blah, blah, blah. And um, it's powerful, except that the problem with it 
is that, that it assumes that we can't move towards holiness. It's, I'm a Christian, so I'm working to shed my hypocritical ways. I'm a Christian, so even though I once lived in sin, I'm trying to remove the log from my eye before I talk to other people about the speck in theirs. That's, that's what we're called to. And if we do that, the outcome of that will be we are making disciples. That, that's the end goal of this. If we are doing that well, we will make disciples. Now, um, we're about to read Matthew 7, 6, and then the passage along with it. And um, when I uh, looked at this passage that I was going to preach on when we were first planning the series out, I read Matthew 7, 6 and went, oh, that makes sense. And then I read it like three more times and I was like, oh, huh. Um, but I'm really excited because I've had a lot of time this week to study it. So hopefully you enjoy this too. Um, we're going to be talking about pearls and swine today. Um, do not give dogs what is holy, Matthew 7, 6 says. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is weird. Um, right off the bat, when I first studied this, I had this whole idea of, oh, you've got to judge people. But if you try and judge a non-believer, and then I'm like, oh, you're calling non-believers dogs and pigs. But, but for a Jewish audience, maybe that's what this passage is referring to. And then I was thinking about, well, the gospel is like a pearl, and so I'm trying to give pearls to pigs, and I'm like, but this is the opposite of the Great Commission. If I'm saying, oh, I can't do that because they won't respond well, I'm, I'm missing the whole point of the Great Commission to make disciples, to share with all nations. But, but when you study Matthew 7, 6, inside, remember, we're talking about this triad model where the traditional teaching is don't throw pearls to swine. And then you look at the vicious cycle, and you look at it as you go forward. What we're going to see is a very different picture. And what I want to tell you at the start of this is that um, I spend a lot of time in the Bible. And when I read the very next verse after this, I had to like double check because I was like, this doesn't seem right. Um, and so I'm going to read it all, verses, seven, uh, verses 6 through 11, and then we'll talk about it. But I'm really excited because I think this is really cool. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Everything I just read is tied together. It goes from dogs to pigs to pearls to, to, to ask, seek, and knock to, to this idea of if your kid asks for bread, you're not giving him a stone or fish, you're not giving him a snake. Finally, to calling us evil and then saying God knows how to give gifts better than us. And, and, and there's something going on here, and I'm, I'm going to show it. And, and what we have to remember is there's a traditional teaching. There's an idea in here of, of do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. The, the, the picture here, if we read this in context of the whole Sermon on the Mount, uh, what I believe, and I, I did a ton of study. There's a, a really awesome thing that I read that I wish I could have you all read, but you all would be bored by it. I know. But, but it's this, this picture of what this passage is about that talks about um, for a Jewish person in this day, dogs and pigs would have been Gentiles. And who were the Gentiles in the, the area of Israel and in that area at that time? Well, it was the Romans who, who were occupying Israel, the Roman state that ruled over them. Israel was under Roman rule. And, and so when it talks about 
giving to dogs what is holy and, and throwing your pearls before swine, what it's actually talking about is, do you put your hope in the authorities who are in power over Jerusalem? And, and what it's talking about at, at its core is, is your hope, is your hope in the things of this world, the authorities of this world? Because if you're doing that, you're throwing pearls before swine. That, that, that's that, the outcome. That, that, that's what you're doing if you put your hope in anything less than God the Father. And the vicious cycle is when you put your hope in those lesser things, your hope, your precious pearls, when you put those before pigs, what are they going to do? They're going to trample them. They're going to crush them. They're going to destroy them. And then they're going to turn and attack you. That, that's the picture here. The, the vicious cycle is when we hope in things that are so much less than what we should be hoping for, the outcome is that not only will our hopes be crushed, but we will be, we will be struck by it as well. And right after that, it goes, ask, seek, knock, ask, knock, seek, ask, seek, knock, whichever one it is, ask, seek, knock. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. This passage is talking about a very specific thing. It is talking about, do you put your faith in the heavenly father as your final authority? Is he the one that you cast your pearls to, your hopes, your prayers? Is he the one that you're spending your time and your energy on? And, and that's the point. If you then who are evil, we know how to give good gifts. So why are we not looking to our father? If we can give good gifts to our children, why would we who are evil not look to the father who is good and ask him to be the one to give us gifts? Is our faith and our hope in him, do we give him our pearls? Do we give him our holy thoughts? Do we dwell on him? That's, that's the outcome of Matthew 7, 6 through 11. And if we're doing this right, if we're doing this right, what's going to happen is making disciples of all nations will occur. Because the book of Matthew is about making disciples of all nations. And so if our hope is really in God, if he is the one that we are casting our cares to, if he is the one that we are, are, are putting and dwelling on and, and seeing as the final authority, if he is there, then disciples will be made. If we are living out this passage, that will be the outcome. Disciples will be made. Oh, good. All right. So you are putting your hope in something, church. And, and right now, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go deep into this and I'm going to feel really uncomfortable because I have no body language from you to gauge whether or not I'm speaking too firmly. And it's been a weird morning, but we're just going to go straight in. And I want to tell you as we start, logs removed. I've been dwelling on this for a few weeks. The Lord has been working so well in my life that I am excited to bring this kind of hard message to anyone and everyone watching this. Be, because you see, I, I, I realized about a month ago that, that in... There was, it was like about a month ago when all of a sudden it turned out, oh, we're not going to meet for another month. It's going to be like June. And when that happened, I, I started to get super interested in COVID um, in a new way. Like at first I was like, okay, we won't meet through Easter. And then after that, we'll start up. And then it started to be, okay, it might be a little bit longer. And then all of a sudden we're talking about June. And I got really stressed out and I started to read all these different things. And if you read one set of news articles, you think one thing. If you read a different set of news articles, you think another. If you watch one YouTube video, you don't trust anyone anymore. If you watch another one, you have complete faith in every single government official. And, and, and you, you do all this stuff. And at the end of all of it, what happens is, is that I went from being informed by all of this stuff to being formed by it. It was shaping me. It was becoming who I was. I was becoming a, a fake 
epidemiologist, and I had no business being that, but I was so focused on it that instead of going and saying, well, I need to be informed to be wise in my decisions, it was becoming what shaped me. It was forming me. My hope was in a solution to COVID. And, and I, I still kind of hope for that, but, but something changed and it changed at the, in the church building because there was a day I was in the church building um, and I was talking to one staff member. It was right after we figured out, oh, we're not meeting for another month. And I was talking to that staff ma- member and in the middle of our conversation, they said something to me that just hit me like a truck. And, and they said, I wonder what God's purpose is in this. Do you ever think about that? And they said that, I went, yeah, of course. And then I left the conversation and went, oh. And then I started another conversation a little bit later with someone else who was here. And do you know what they said? They said, in the middle of me saying, yeah, I read this and I read this and I saw this and I looked at this data and I looked at this thing. In the middle of all that, they said, I wonder what God's purpose is in this. I wonder what he's trying to tell the church, the nation, the world. I wonder what this means for us as Christians. And I heard that twice in a day. And when I heard that twice in a day, I remember I really chewed on it. And, and I, I realized that my hope has been in a solution to COVID. Even if it's not the solution, I, want, it's, I, I just had put my hope so far into that that I was missing out on the fact that my job as a Christian is not to be an epidemiologist, unless I'm an epidemiologist. But my, my job as a Christian is in whatever is going on to say, what is the Lord's purpose in this and how am I following that purpose? And there's one purpose of the Lord that is always clear. And if my faith is in him, it's one thing that I should always be working towards. And what is that? It's I should be making disciples. Because the problem is, is if I'm not focused on the Lord at the end, when I cast my pearls to the things of this world, when I, when I dwell on the things of this world, what's going to happen is I'm going to get wrecked. I'm going to just get trampled and destroyed because I'm putting my hope in things that just the end outcome of them will be nothing but disappointment. If our hope is in anything less than our Father who is in heaven, the end result will not be good. If our hope is in the Father who is in heaven, the the change that's going to happen is that our hope is going to be in the one who who wants us, first off, to follow him, the one who offers us good gifts and the one whose desire it is to see us be a part of his initiative, his kingdom that is making disciples. If, if we live, so, so we're going to kind of review, if we live verses one through five of chapter seven out well, if we live that out well, we're going to live a repentant lifestyle to help make disciples as we go by judging. We're going to judge, but before we judge, we're going to start with repentance. I'm not going to go talk to someone else about what they're doing wrong before I first look at my own heart and before I first say, am I doing this? If so, I need to remove that sin. And if I'm not willing to do that, I shouldn't judge. But if I'm not willing to do that, I'm not sure I'm being a disciple of Jesus. And the second thing we're going to do is we're going to put our trust in the Father who provides us with what we need to make disciples. That, that's the purpose of the book of Matthew. When Jesus does these teachings, his desire is not so small as for me to follow him individually, but for me to be following him, and as I follow him, help others to follow him in the same way. That, that's his desire for each and every one of us. And, and as we read through these passages, that's what we need to come away with. Now, church, I'm, I'm going to get real for a few moments Um, we cannot be peacemakers and pursue our own ends. We cannot be peacemakers and pursue our own ends. I hope that you hear that and I hope that you understand that because as we talk today, some of you might be thinking, Matt, 
we're in a series on peacemakers and I'm trying to have peace in my home. Why are we talking about this make disciples thing? Well, first off, you need to be making disciples in your home. I, can I tell you in the midst of everything going on right now, in the, in the office, something that we always talk about and pray about is we want to see what we're doing here at the church go into homes. We want to see people doing what we do here in their homes. You're doing that right now. And that's wonderful. And you may be like, I wish I was at the church and I wish you were here too. I miss hugs. I miss making coffee for people. I miss hanging out with people on Sunday mornings. I miss when a junior high kid is a punk. I miss being able to hit him in the face with a dodgeball. Or her. Um, Anna Heflin's dad is here. So I have to mention that. So, but but I, I say this be, because I do miss being in person. But when we were meeting in person and we were thinking about how do we make disciples, do you want to, I've been here four years and the most common thing I've heard about the reason that we're not making disciples from people is, man, I am so busy. I am so busy. And do you know what I'm hearing right now from people? I'm hearing from people and not everyone, but I'm hearing from people that they say, I can't wait until we, we can meet again so we can get back to being the church. And the church is not tied to these four walls at all. If, if your idea of making disciples is tied to when can we start meeting again, then I want to tell you that your picture of a disciple is very lacking. Our church is a wonderful place for us to gather and grow and equip each other and celebrate what God has done in our life so that when we go out, we're taking that into our neighborhoods, into our homes, into our workplaces. Right now, you have more time than ever before. And so I want to ask you, are you making disciples right now? Because the worst thing you could be asking right now as you're dwelling on all of this is, when can I start making disciples again? If, if we're saying, when can I start making disciples again? We are saying that making disciples is dependent on things that it's not dependent on. If our faith is in God, if we are saying, God, what is your purpose in this time? If that's our prayer, and if we're living this out honestly, what we should be saying instead is, how am I engaged in making disciples today? How am I doing it right now? That's what each of us should be asking. The Lord is at work right now. In my home, we are having such fruitful spiritual conversations and, and we're enjoying the slowdown. I, I'm enjoying, we're, we're getting to know our neighbors better. We're getting to do all these things in a new way. And, and so in the midst of everything going on, we're making disciples better than ever before in our home and in our neighborhood. And we're thinking about how are we going to do this if this continues? We're also thinking about, man, when this is over, how are we going to keep some of these patterns we have? For you out there, what I want to tell you is you, you may be thinking, well, Matt, I haven't been discipled enough to disciple someone else. Um, that's the common one I hear. And the first thing I want to tell you is if you are a disciple, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a step further along than anyone who is not a follower of Jesus. And you may not be able to walk them through an evangelism track or walk, walk them through all these different things in the Bible. But what you can and should be doing is when you talk to people, you should be pointing them to the heavenly father who is taking care of you. That's a simple thing you can do to make disciples. Because like me, when I was here frantic, like the world's going to fall down, the sky is blah, 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 blah. When I was in that whole mode, when I was in that mode, it was two people here saying, I wonder what God's doing through this. And here's what he's doing in my life. No matter where you are at, those are two simple things you can do. You can tell people, man, you know, in the midst of this, we have food and shelter. And in the midst of this, I'm, I'm discovering just so much joy being at home with my wife. In the midst of this, our sister-in-law came and stayed with us and I got to know her in a way I never knew her before. And it's been such a blessing. And we're sad that she's not here. 
And that's in, in the midst of everything going on, the Lord is working. And, and our job is to be disciple makers alongside him. Now, let me say this. We need to do this wisely. I talked earlier about how we need to be informed. We do need to be informed. You know, if you're like, well, the best thing I can do is go into a grocery store without a mask on and say, God will keep me safe. Don't do that. Don't do that. First off, we don't want to alienate people. Second off, if we alienate people, we want to alienate them over something that's in the word that challenges them, that, that forces them to, to reckon with God and have conversations about where they're at with the Lord. We want to be making disciples. We don't want to just be living foolishly. We, we want to be following after the Lord well. And so wherever you stand on all this stuff, whether you're thinking this is a hoax, whether you're thinking this is the truest thing, whether you're thinking, I hope I don't have to be around people for the next year, whether you're thinking, I'm, I'm dying. Like if you're an extrovert and you're like, please somebody come help me. Or if you're an introvert and you're like, this is the best thing that's ever happening. Whatever situation you are in right now, the question you need to be asking and the way for us to move forward if we want to follow the Lord well is we need to say, what is the Lord doing with this? And how can I be making disciples in what he's doing right now? That might change in a month. It might be longer. It might be less time. Who knows? But our hope cannot be in the things of this world or it will be crushed and trampled, will be wrecked. And we cannot live our lives not judging others because we're worried that they will judge us back. Instead, we have to follow the Lord. And the end of all of this is we need to be disciples who are making disciples. That's what we're called to. That's what you're called to today. That's what I'm called to today. That's what each of us needs to do if we are a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, today's message might be a little alienating. But I want to tell you that the beauty of all of this, it, it comes back to we, if, if we're pursuing our own ends, we're never going to be peacemakers. You will never live at peace in this world if you're pursuing your own ends. As Christians, we will not live at peace with this world, but we will live at peace with God. And that's the promise of the gospel is that we can live at peace with God and we can follow after him. And then in the middle of all this chaos, we can say to others, man, I wonder what the Lord's doing in this because I know the Lord's in control. We can have that peace and we can share that with others. That's what we're called to. And so if you're out there and you're saying, wow, this is not what I expected, what I want to encourage you in is that there's a peace offered in the gospel. It's very different than the peace that this world offers, but it is so good. And when Jesus died on the cross to offer us a peace with God and a place with God and a, to be a part of his kingdom, he, he invites us into something that is so much bigger than anything this world offers. And at the end of it, the further into it you go, the less you will be. I, I promise you will not be disappointed by our father who is in heaven. The gifts he gives are good. And so we need to ask, seek, and knock and follow after him. And so if that's you today, I just want to encourage you to, to not leave today without giving Jesus your life to say, I, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. You died for my sins. You rose again. I want to be a part of that kingdom that you're bringing. I don't know how to do all of it, but I want to figure it out. I want to follow after you. That's what we're called to do as Christians. For everyone else, I want to challenge you to be discipling in your home and discipling in your communities. And, and if you don't know how, start praying, Lord, what are you doing in this time? And Lord, how can I be a part of it? There are so many things. If I would have Two months ago, if you would have asked me what I'd do if I was in this season, I would have had no idea, but the Lord has continually been revealing ways that Jess and I can be making disciples in our neighborhood and with people around us, and it has been wonderful. And I'm in the midst of everything coming up. I don't know what's going to happen, but what I know is that the Lord is sovereign. The Lord who reigns over all, our Father who is in heaven, wants to bring his kingdom that is in heaven to this earth. Let's pray. Our Father... 
we thank you so much that you are so good. We thank you that the gifts you give are good. We thank you that your son who you sent when he died and rose again, his death through his death we were forgiven and through his resurrection, he proved himself to have power over death. And, and we have just, we have life in you. And if we want to follow after you, you give us that option. You made a way for us to follow you. You gave us a chance to be at peace with you. And Lord, we recognize that if we try and live to our own ends or to the ends of this world, there can never be peace. But peace is only found in you. And so Lord, we pray that we would not settle for lesser things, for lesser peace, for, for lesser hopes, but instead that we would put our hope in you. And we pray that we would be those who, instead of looking at others and judging them, that, that we would be those who, who internally, that, that we look at our hearts and, and we follow after you and we remove the things that would make us hypocrites and, and we put our faith and our hope and our trust in you so that when we talk to others, we're doing it from a place where you have transformed us and we're telling others about the work you've done. We thank you that your desire with Jesus was that, that when he came, he would make disciples who would make disciples. And because those 12 men on a mountain, uh, 11 of them returned and they, they started sharing with everyone else. And because of that today, because disciples made disciples, we can follow you. And, and we thank you that your desire is that we would live for you and that we would be a part of this disciple-making initiative. You, you desire for us to be a part of your work and we thank you that you are working and that we get to be a part of that. And Lord, I ask for forgiveness for where I, in these last few months, have put my focus on anything but you. Where I put my focus on hopes in, in our governor or our president or, or a science blog or, or, or videos or, or, or anything else. I, I, Lord, forgive me for where I've allowed that to form me. And, and I pray, Lord, you would help me and help all of us to live in wisdom of following after you and to make you the outcome. I pray that we would be disciples, not of whichever worldview, political thing, whichever COVID response we have, we would not be disciples of that, but we would be disciples of you. We would be pointing people towards you in whatever we are feeling in this world, that we would put our hope ultimately in you and we would point others towards that, that we would be disciple makers for the kingdom that you came to bring. And we thank you that for those of us who are part of your kingdom, that we are part of that kingdom, not just in this life, but for all eternity. And we pray that we would see the urgency of helping others reach that kingdom as well. Father, you are so good. And we pray that the kingdom in heaven, that you would help us bring that here to earth as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for being with us. Um, we had a wonderful morning of tech issues, um, but... Um, we're so glad that you were able to stick around and we were able to get this going. And so I want to encourage you this week, go make disciples. Ask how you're following after the Lord and then go make disciples.